The following message is entitled, A Surgeon Cuts Open Joy, Part 2. This message was given during the evening service on May 1st, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Again tonight, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, a series I have entitled, A Joyful Salvation. If I could change the title for these verses, I would have changed it to A Joyfully Suffering Salvation, but it's already etched in stone in my copies in my computer. I don't want to have to go through and change it all, but suffering and joy are connected here. Verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. In many ways, for me, uh, teaching a series like this is akin to an ornery fan, a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan who's yelling out into the field at some player for his mishaps. Uh, the fan is sitting there looking like me, Buddha in the stands, has a beer in his hand and a hot dog in the other, and he's spewing out to this player how he should be doing this or that, and it certainly smacks of fan hypocrisy. I struggle to teach a series like this because I am in a climate of a society that uses terminology like this that discouragements and difficulties abound all around us. That is not an accurate statement. Discouragements and difficulties abound around us, as if discouragements and difficulties are things out there that we can grab like a cup. Discouragements and difficulties do not abound around us. We choose to be discouraged and act as if life is difficult. You understand that? Hardships abound around us. Sufferings abound around us, but discouragement is a choice. I feel in many ways that I'm like that fan in the stands yelling at the center fielder for dropping the ball. Um, a couple weeks ago, I'm in my truck and I'm thirsty. I'm driving towards a uh, shop in Hegwish. I've gone from Whiting and have to cut across down Calumet Avenue. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to stop at the 7-Eleven there and get myself a drink. Pull into the parking lot. I see a sign on the door, but I don't know what that is. My eyes aren't good enough. I get out, read the sign, and it says the 7-Eleven is closed. There aren't enough employees to man it. Well, the sky did not open up with sunshine for me at that moment. As rays from God shined down upon me as my face smiled in the midst of my suffering, and I had joy anyways. No, sadly, as I walked back to my truck, it was more like this. Crying out loud! I wanted my big gulp. In many ways, I'm just a fan in the stand, teaching about joy in the midst of suffering. Wouldn't it be better if we had Yuri here in the pulpit right now? 
the pastor in Ukraine, giving us, fat and sassy, leaders, pastors, elders, and Christians some advice on this. It all just smacks a little too theoretical for me. And I've had my share of sufferings as a pastor teacher. So, in a climate where we're surrounded by victimization, where we say discouragements have attacked me, when in reality suffering attacks and we choose to be discouraged. In a climate where if there's too many in the drive-thru, I get ticked off. In a climate where sometimes our biggest difficulty as Christians is to not enter into the gossip and slander at our places of employment. I think God would look down at us right now and say, you really have no clue about having joy in the midst of suffering. Could it be that we really don't have a clue and never will unless we truly suffer? But it is a text of scripture that we just don't bypass. I think if we were to admit in our hearts right now that we really are just fans in the stand on this issue of joy in the midst of suffering and it would be better for us to keep our mouths shut and not tell a player how to play ball, right? And I think we could just turn to the playbook in the stand and say, well, he messed up, but who am I to tell a ball player in the peak of physical condition how he should play? And I stand up here before you saying, who am I to tell you how to have joy in the midst of suffering and just say, let's study the playbook and let the Spirit of God talk to us. Father, as we bow our heads again before you this evening and ask for your help. We need it so desperately. We are fans in the stand. Part of this is not our fault. We didn't choose this culture to be born into. The technologies that have just rumbled towards us in the last decades are incredibly exciting and alluring and they speak to our hearts that desire fun and pleasure, relaxation, and tickle our lusts. I'm not excusing ourselves, dear Lord. It is the reality that church systems die far quicker in the midst of peace and plenty than they do under persecution. We toy with heresy. We're uncommitted, Lord, to fellowship and church. We have hardening to some degree in all of our hearts, and it's driven in many ways, through the temptations of a society that is constantly crying to us to pull the lever on the lazy boy and recline. Please forgive us, Lord. Who are we to tell anyone else how to have joy in the midst of suffering? We acknowledge that Peter would be perplexed by all of us, myself especially in this pulpit. And if he was here, I would say, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter, I forgive me. I, I'm teaching this passage, but it weighs heavy on me the longer I'm in it. That I don't know true suffering. I'm not praying for suffering, Lord. I'm just saying this is the reality. We want to come before you humbly and say, despite our severe limitations, please help us to have joy. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.
The context in your note sheet then tonight of this passage and the sermon title is A Surgeon Cuts Open Joy, Part 2. Peter is the apostolic surgeon. He's going to open up joy. Joy is a chest cavity on the gurney. He's a surgeon standing over with a scalpel and he's going to cut it open for us in a moment. We're going to learn some things about joy that maybe are beyond our wildest comprehension. This is not just joy in this text. It's a different animal than regular joy. And we look forward this evening to the apostle cutting open the cavity of joy and showing us what it really is, giving us a glimpse and a depth of joy that, as I've already said, is in many ways lacking in our lives. A beginning medical student who stands there and sees a seasoned surgeon opening up a human cavity in front of him has to have various organs pointed out. They're all red. They all look the same. They have to study to figure it out. And this, this organ here is in verse 6. It's the two words, greatly rejoice, and it's one that we probably have to have the surgeon explain to us better. In the outline, the Christian's joy is supposed to be connected to a salvation, not to good times. That's a given already that we've learned. And we've learned that the context of joy is in verse 6, in this, in this, what comes previously, our salvation. And again, I can't get away from that ballpark analogy. So the guy is screaming at the players out there. And I'm sitting next to him and saying, would you just give it a break? You can't even crawl down these steps to get out there without spilling your beer. Why don't you let the man play? How about just to rejoice in being here and enjoying a game? And, of course, such a fan would look at me and probably swear at me. So we're trying here to pull back on our pride and arrogance and saying things like, we have a handle on this suffering and joy thing, when really we need to just sit and shut up and let the game proceed. So let's do that. The scalpel has been used by Peter in verse 6. He's cut open the cadaver or the living joy. Cadaver, I would say, because so many Christians lack joy. This joy is dead. It's not even throbbing. And hopefully for us as Christians, we're still alive on the table. And he cuts open this person that I'm personifying as joy. And now we bend over the surgeon's scalpel, Peter, and we're going to look down at this organ called, in your note sheet, point number two, agaliaste. Agaliaste. It's in your note sheet. Greatly rejoice. Let's move the organ around and study it a little bit and be humbled by it. This is a verb. A verb is an action, so write that under letter A. We're to act on this. It is assumed verb. It isn't even a command. It's assumed. In this you greatly rejoice. You're looking over the table down into the body that's been exposed of joy. And the surgeon says, this is what you have. And we look at the surgeon and say, I have this inside of me? Yes, it's in you. Uh, I don't think so. I get ticked off when the 
7-Eleven's closed, Peter. No, in this you greatly rejoice. Rejoice in my salvation? Yeah. Okay. Can we study a little more? Make sure it's really in here. It's continuous. It's a present tense. It's middle voice, which means you yourself can do this. Oh, now I'm back to the impossibility of this task, it would seem, Surgeon Peter. You mean I can choose this? Yes. In this, you yourself must choose, and are choosing to greatly rejoice in this. Uh, I'm not. I would have to say that to Peter consistently many times. I'm not. And Peter would look at me strange. Peter would say, any authority of the word? Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Yes. How could you not rejoice in this? I don't know what to say to that, Peter, but you're the surgeon. Could you just continue this anatomy class right here? Let me pick up some steam. Give me a little education on this. And so the teacher, the Apostle Peter, the surgeon returns to the task, and he says, okay, this is present, it's middle. That means that it's assumed, it's not an imperative command. This is what Christians do. We would assume this as medical students. You should understand that. This is what you do. You greatly rejoice. We're having a little hard time wrapping our head around that. And he says, and this is continuous. Present tense is not necessarily now. It's more speaking to a continuity of life behavior. This verb. It's one verb again. You greatly rejoice. Three words in the Greek in your note sheet, but it is one verb, as you can see. Agaliaste. And then we come to the heart of joy next. It is not just joy. Notice this organ in the chest. Uh, regular joy is this small, and this organ, if you'll notice, is very rare. It's actually an enlarged form of joy, this organ is. It is an intensive joy. It is abundant joy. Write it down. Agaliaste is an intensive term that means confidently and abundantly uplifted. In your salvation, you do not just rejoice. You have this organ of intense, abundant, greatly uplifted joy. Oh, Peter. I'm trusting you as an apostle, and your word is certainly written by God, but how lacking I truly am. What would you say, Peter, to the fact that I can walk away from a 7-Eleven door ticked off and discouraged? Well, John, without being too harsh on you, you are not living who you are. Because this is inside of you with the Holy Spirit's empowerment. If you say so, Apostle Peter, I believe it by faith, but the journey is long for me. I've been saved for so many decades, and this still seems so alien to me. Without me looking up and seeing who raises their hand, anybody having the same struggle as a medical student, wrapping their hands around this. Grace and mercy of God come into play here. This is the great difference between saved and unsaved joy. It's a world of difference. 
there is actually no joy in the world, but unsaved people find their happiness in circumstances. We're still under little letter A. That isn't this. That's a foreign object in the, in the cavity of the body on the surgeon's table. Uh, joy in circumstances needs to be removed. That's cancerous for the believer. And we're looking down into the incision area where Peter is cut open, but it looks the same. No, it's not. This operates 24-7. Just see this enlarged organ right here. And in fact, that's an organ that grows and grows and grows for the godly believer. The worse the circumstances, the more this operates and functions. It is abundant upliftment and confidence that grows in the midst of suffering. It is greatly rejoicing, even though now, even though now, it's great in its rejoicing. Standing in this surgeon's room, and Peter has just said these things, and some of the medical students have checked out and walked out the door. Professed believers that say this is impossible. There's nothing in the Bible that's possible in our own human strength. This is something only the power of God can manifest in our lives, and it certainly does start with humility. If you're going to change an unruly fan at the ballpark, it starts with him shutting up. Being quiet. Stop being a hypocrite telling somebody who knows how to play ball how to play ball when you can't even get out of the seat. And this certainly is unheard of in our society of the church. Unheard of. But we're training to be God's spiritual agents and we must understand the anatomy of our faith in order for this to function. Now, letter B, greatly rejoice. This verb is rare. It's only three times mentioned in 1 Peter. Here in verse 6, look at verse 8. The same verb is mentioned. You greatly rejoice. Again, not a command. It's assumed. We could say, well, I'm not doing that, Peter. And he'd say, what's the matter with you? That's a great thing to say to ourselves. What's the matter with you? Chapter 4, verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13, to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. It's assumed that you already are. It doesn't say start to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ in 1 Peter 4, 13. It says keep on doing it. You're sharing. It's assumed in the sufferings of Christ. This, this has to operate. This is at the heart of the matter in the physical body of your Christian life, if this is not central and functioning and pulsing within your, the body of your spirituality, you're not going to be a Christian that is functioning properly. This is super Christian joy. The term was never used in secular Greek, nor does this verb occur in Paul's writings either. Letter C, this word differs from the normal word for joy, which is chiro in your note sheet. Now, interestingly, Jesus uses both words, agaliao and Cairo, in Matthew 5. Turn over there. Matthew 5. Matthew 
the Beatitudes of Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, 5.11. And notice, this is not discouragement is all around me. This is a choice to not be discouraged. Suffering is all around me and I impact suffering and hardship. But we want to affirm truth with our minds and our mouths and we don't go around talking about how this week that is ahead of me, I'm facing many discouragements. Stop saying that. That assumes you can't avoid discouragement. It's something that will impact you on your daytime or schedule. I am facing hardships this week, and I want the Spirit of God to enable me to use the joy and the great joy in the proper fashion so that I confront the sufferings with an uplifted heart. That's affirming truth. In verse 12, both of the words for joy are mentioned. Very rare. The first word, rejoice, is Cairo. And the second one, be glad, is a galiao. In the New Testament, this word here always refers to spiritual joy, not temporal joy. This is why the King James Version translators correctly rendered it as exceeding joy which is an excellent translation of this Greek word for joy. It's far above and beyond. I say the, running, the heart of a runner, a marathon runner, is far larger than the heart of someone who's out of shape and doesn't run. And so you listen to the heartbeat of a regular person who's out of shape, and it's like, beats faster than it should. Then you listen to an enlarged heart of a marathon runner that's expanded that muscle and it's boom, 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 boom. You've got pitter-patter joy in verse 12 and you've got marathon running exceeding joy in verse 12. The Lord is not letting us off the hook here. He says you should be going from rejoicing to exceeding joy for your reward in heaven is great. You should rejoice over the fact that what you have awaiting you in heaven, suffering for Christ, is great. It's just seeming impossible because we're surrounded by such earthly enjoyments. Christ is not letting us off the hook. Nothing in verse 12 of Matthew 5 speaks to are you having fun this week? Have you dodged some bullets of trouble? Was work well for you? Nobody hassled you? That was a good week then that you were able to avoid suffering. Hmm. Alien to Christ, alien to Peter. They're on a different page in the book. They're in a different surgery wing of the hospital here than we are. Our goal is to find joy by navigating around hardship. I just don't want any hassles. I want a good week this week. I have things coming up and they're discouraging me that they're coming towards me. Things this week I'm not looking forward to. I'm a victim. I can't stop it. I wish I could get around it. It's not how the Christian life operates. You see how this is way beyond us here, right? Most of us. Back to Peter. 
Peter's telling us in verse 6 that this is supposed to be an ongoing thing. And, and what happens is we're looking down into this chest that's been opened up spiritually. And Peter says, you notice how that's constantly beating really, really loud and hard? Boom, 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 exceeding joy. And notice, and notice how he's still beating like that even though horrible suffering just intersected him. Whereas for us, we're walking along as Christians, and today's a good day. Very few problems, very little pain. Little joy there based on circumstances. And I'm just so glad that Lord Jesus spared me today. And then, boom, horrible trouble comes in, and we go off the grid. Our hearts start speeding. Crash into discouragement, and somebody's got to put the paddles on us. The heartbeat of joy has come to an end, and we blame, put the blame on the discouraging circumstances that we're facing. This is supposed to be continuously beating here in verse 6. It's exceeding joy. It's supposed to be off the grid. It's powerful. It's a, it's a heart of joy that is just, just constantly, consistently driving forth exceeding joy. What I'm trying to make a case for you is how far we are from this, which should drive repentance. This is supposed to be an ongoing habit that is not affected by trials. Write that under letter C. This is an increasing joy that is not affected by trials. It comes directly from a contemplation of Christ and our salvation, as Rogers, the Greek scholar, says. We're thinking on Christ. We're thinking on heaven. We're thinking on our salvation. We're just too earthly-minded to be any heavenly good to reverse the perverted statement that he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. For that to make it into the church, that statement, he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, is an abomination. An absolute inversion of what the Bible teaches. What we are is too earthly good to be any heavenly mindedness. Too earthly minded to be any heavenly good. It's because we confuse joy with happiness, letter D in the note sheet. Happiness comes from positive external events. Write that down under letter D. Happiness, MacArthur teaches us this, comes from positive external events. Most of us function this way. We're ready to slam into Monday in this week, and we all have various things that we know are coming. And so if we're looking forward and we see maybe there's some good things coming this week, we feel happy. And when we see the potential for bad coming this way this week, we crash with discouragement. None of that is directed by spirituality. It's all directed by circumstances. So when you feel happiness because things now are coming this week are going to be really good, that's not joy. That's not joy at all. The world has that, right? Somebody comes into work as an unbeliever. They're all down. What happened? I had a horrible week. Don't talk to me. Or they come in singing a tune. What happened? Oh, I had a great weekend. See, everything is geared towards the circumstances far more than we ever realize. Peter's looking down at that huge organ right there on the surgeon's table. Look at that. It's still beating. This, this man that I've cut open here and we're examining the joy there. Boom, 
Boom. It's just functioning consistently. And this man's been through terrible persecution. In fact, as I speak right now, he's being tortured in prison. And we all look as medical students and say, Really? Why is his joy heart not stopped? I would never have that joy if I was being tortured in prison. I'd have nothing to look forward to. We're such a mess. Such a mess. All I can say to this is forgive us, Lord. But salvation joy, then, first letter D there, comes from deep-rooted confidence, MacArthur says. It is transcended. It rises above the battlefield and the hardships. So the carnal Christian looks to the week ahead and says, I've got a horrible meeting with a boss, or I've got this problem coming up, or this doctor's appointment, or this thing I've got to go to, and it's just crashing me. I'm just a victim to my circumstances. Discouragement has an appointment with me this week. And the, the rare and godly Christian says, these, these difficulties coming my way are opportunities for me to rejoice in the salvation in heaven that awaits me. And we don't think that way. Don't tell me that we do, because I don't. And I've studied this a lot longer than you have. My condemnation is far greater than yours. Joy comes from a deep-rooted confidence, MacArthur says, that we possess in our grip eternal life from the living God through the crucified and risen Christ. What a statement! MacArthur makes. Joy comes from the deep-rooted confidence that we possess eternal life from the living God through the crucified and risen Christ. It's not based on anything in this world. It transcends above it. We're to be blind spiritually to the things that await us. Some of them are events. Some of them are encroachments. Encroachment is aging. It's a terrible trial that has nothing to do with our faith. Whether we're godly, carnal, saved, or unsaved, there's aging that impacts us. And even that difficulty, which is not connected to our faith, can shipwreck many a Christian. Can't even have baby joy in the midst of aging. So what we have here is a surgeon now has pulled his scalpel back. The few of us that are left in the surgery room as medical students learning under this surgeon's instruction in verse 6, we're just like got our heads down. I don't know if I want to be a doctor. I don't know, this is impossible. I don't know if I can even do that. And Peter says, okay, students, pull back. Let's write down this perspective then. Let's reaffirm truth. And so on the back of your note sheet, let's look to medical perspective number one on this exceeding joy. Joy is encouraging confidence. Growing encouraging confidence in our precious salvation, in our protecting Savior. This is joy. This is exceeding joy. In this you greatly rejoice. And we have all the tools ready to go. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. These are the power tools by which we can operate with this type of joy. It is encouraged, growing confidence in our precious salvation and protecting Savior. But you see, it is possible as believers to go through a whole week without even thinking about our salvation. Just imagine that as believers, we can do that. You can spend two hours watching a film, being entertained by that. Who's thinking about Christ at that point, even if it's not an evil or wicked film? 
getting all our stuff. When I go home tonight, it takes me 20 to 25 minutes to get all my stuff ready for work at Skyway tomorrow. Who's thinking about our salvation while I'm putting my black bag together? And I'm getting sure I may have bullets in my gun in my bag. We have an agenda awaiting us, and that's what we think on. And then, of course, we've got to see what the weather is tomorrow. That's high on our list, right? Heaven help us if we could ever go to bed without knowing what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. I want to see the latest in the news so we can see if God's working. We know God is working if things are nice. And the fourth surge is actually turning downward. Then I'll be happy. We can't rise above the fray, can we? Something exterior has to really strip us of this mentality, and it's, and it's almost without exception persecution. Number one, under that perspective then, it is one thing to not be depressed. It is one thing to not be depressed during severe trials, but quite another to be exceedingly joyful during the trials. This is, this is even further beyond our comprehension right here. We could have our backs against the wall as worldly Christians and say, okay, well, I'm not depressed. Yeah, but are you joyful, exceedingly joyful? Well, no. Well, I'm not depressed. This is not that in verse 6. In this you are greatly not depressed. I'm in the no man's land. I'm in the purgatory between heaven and hell here as a Christian. Heaven is joy and hell is discouragement and depression. At least I don't have the depression. He's not letting us off the hook here. This pounding great joy, this powerful movement within our minds is not pounding out, not depressed, not depressed, not depressed. And usually we arrive at not depressed by distraction. Write that down under number one. We use distraction to keep the depression monster away. Food, fun, entertainment, socializing, perusing our smartphones ad infinitum. just need to distract myself. There's no distraction here. This is laser focus. Laser focus. You know what a laser is, don't you? It's actually an acronym. I was sitting in a boring class. I've told you this illustration years ago when I was a Triton studying for art, and I had to take one of these science classes, and the teacher had a laser on the table, and I was looking around. I was in an angled one of those lecture halls, and I was sitting in the back and just... Uh, distracting myself and thinking this is so boring I have to take all this to draw I don't understand that but anyways and so everyone else is distracted so the teacher who knows what a laser is well I was actually in one of those perverted years of perspectives and hobbies in my life back then I actually read through the dictionary that needs counseling let me tell you if you if one of your hobbies is to read through the dictionary you're messed up so I was messed up and I'd read through the dictionary and I happened to just recently get through the letter L Anybody? Anybody know what a dictionary is? And I was like this. Light amplification through stimulated emissions of radiation. And the guy almost fell over. He goes, what? He goes, yeah, it's an acronym. Light amplification through stimulated emissions of radiation. A laser is a focused beam of radiation. Couldn't believe that I knew that. 
worthless piece of information. Shrug my shoulders. This is a laser in verse 6, and we're just bored by the acronym. This is a miracle. A laser is an extraordinary piece of scientific equipment. And then when he put it on, he asked us all to take our little erasers, chakra erasers, and we banged them in the room, and the powder lit up the line of the laser, which was invisible. It's quaint. Chalk dust lights up the laser. Hmm. Look at that verse 6. This is a miracle only for godly believers. Greatly rejoice, greatly rejoice, greatly rejoice. Pounding organ here in our minds. We have to be living above all this stuff. How do I do that, Lord? I'm surrounded by things that appeal to my my lascivious nature, my sin nature that makes me want to just relax. I want conflict avoidance to go on this week. We're not very far along on this, are we? We minimize it down to I'm just not depressed. I've decided to train myself to repress my emotions. I don't want to be sky high or real low, so I'm just shutting the emotions down. There's Christians that have done this. I've had individuals who profess Christian to be Christians in my office and counseling, and usually it's the wife that is weeping and the husband that's stone cold. She's weeping because her marriage is coming to an end, and he simply doesn't care. And we can do this on these spiritual virtues in verse 6. I can't ever attain to this alien concept of greatly rejoice, so I'm just going to shut down. I may not have joy, but I'm not depressed. I'm Vulcan. No feeling. Surgeon won't stand for that. You just failed your grade in this medical student's surgery lesson in the operating room. taken a Novocaine or a painkiller and you're just not depressed but you have no joy look at John chapter 16 gospel of John we can't flippantly wrap our heads around this incredible concept in verse 6 we just can't do it it's not right it's like throwing dirt on a Rembrandt in an art museum let's not trivialize this. We need to face up to it like men and women. John 16, verse 19. John 16, concerning Christ's death and resurrection, which he foretells. Verse 19, Jesus knew what they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while and you will not see me, and again in a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, verse 20. That's when he said truly, truly. The old King James was verily, verily. Which is poetically very beautiful, but means absolutely nothing to us. Verily, verily, the dishes aren't done tonight. Doesn't mean anything. Truly, truly does. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. 
You know what he's saying there? You're going to weep and cry that I die on the cross, but the world's rejoicing that I'm being executed. So you will grieve. But when you come to a realization of what has just transpired on the cross, when the Spirit of God at the day of Pentecost comes to empower you in Acts chapters 1 and 2, your grief in verse 20 will be turned to joy. What changed in verse 20 from grief to joy? Totally it's a perspective. It's a perspective of faith that says, this world is not my home. Christ is everything to me. Not the big gulp that I wanted in a closed 7-Eleven door. We fail in this because we don't see the perspective. Your grief will be turned to joy. What changed? Nothing. Christ died. He rose from the dead. What changed? They did, realizing the hope that we have in this life is only through the person of Jesus Christ and his salvation. That's it. We're more like these apostles here in verse 20, aren't we? They were debating, all discouraged. You're leaving me. Why is he leaving us? Why is he leaving us? I don't understand. We're like that. So we're like Peter in John 16, 20. See? Because verse 17 says, The disciples said to one another, What is the thing he's telling us in verse 17? That would include Peter, right? So we're like Peter here. He's not even a medical student at this point. He's a nothing. Well, he's not a nothing, but he certainly hasn't figured out this joy. Verse 22, therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, verse 22, and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. So it is not just physical proximity to Christ, the Lord is saying in verse 22. It isn't that I will be resurrected and I will be there with you physically. This is a whole different type of joy. Because he ascended into heaven and they didn't lose their joy. Something happens between the Peter here, who's messed up, and the other apostles. And now this high-powered surgeon in 1 Peter 1, verse 6. What's the difference? Both have the Holy Spirit in chapter 16 of John and 1 Peter 1, 6. It's the yielding completely to an eternal salvific perspective that makes the difference. Something that is so alien to us. We're way too earthly-minded as Peter was, and we can't seem to bridge the gap over to 1 Peter 1, 6, Peter. How do we get there? We get there like this. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Admit how lacking you truly are. Just tell God that. Say, God, I'm not there, and it's my fault. It's not because bad things have stripped me of joy. It's because I don't live the right way in my thinking. I repent so wrapped up in whether good or bad happens to me on a given day. Please, merciful Lord Jesus, forgive me. I admit to you how messed up I am, and I'm not going to wallow in my failure. I'm asking you to forgive me, and now I'm asking you to empower me after you've forgiven me to perform a miracle in my mind, and there is no greater miracle right now in the teaching that I'm receiving in this church right now Regardless of which series that John is teaching, there is no miracle, Lord, that I need more greatly in my life than the impossible-seeming miracle 
of super abundant pounding agaliatse in my mind it causes me to rise consistently above the hardships of my life and I'm not even being persecuted very much for the faith that's how far gone I am Lord if I can't handle the general sufferings of life that are part of this dangerous and fallen world, how could I ever achieve this agaliatse in the midst of severe persecution and direct threat to my well-being and life on this planet for the cause of Jesus Christ? How am I to do that, Lord? How am I to do that? I can't, Lord. You can I won't. You will. My only way to this superabundant joy is to yield in faith to you as I was doomed in going to hell and had no hope or ability whatsoever to save myself. I am now in the same condition again as a Christian, Lord. I have no capacity within myself to achieve the surgical joy that is so far beyond my grasp in my walk with Christ. I can't. I couldn't, Lord, get saved in my own power. You saved me. You reached down and you empowered me unto salvation and illuminated my heart. And I am now rejoicing in that miracle and ask for the lesser miracle I was dead and you made me alive. I'm alive now. I'm asking you to make me function better. Function in a powerful agaliaste way. I want to look forward to this week as an opportunity to find consistent, heart-pounding, confidence, upliftment, and joy in the midst of whatever horrors come my way. I can't. You can. I won't, but you will. In the power of my own sinfulness and fleshliness, I won't. I can't subscribe to this. I have no faith to even believe this can occur, Lord. I'm asking you, please, have mercy on me. As you did at my conversion, I'm a child in an adult salvation body, and I need you to make me grow up fast because this world is coming to a quick conclusion soon. I need to be driving a car, and I'm still trying to figure out a bicycle, Lord, spiritually. Help me. What I need to go home tonight to do is be in the Word more, not necessarily watching TV. I need to be more in prayer. And, I, and even these things are so difficult because my mind is tuned towards a certain intake, Lord, of truth and a certain limited amount of prayer. And then I feel I'm justified in setting all that aside to have fun. But fun's not going to give me, Lord, alalagaliyase. It's just not going to do it, Lord. It's not going to give me exceeding joy. Only you can. Help us. Empower us. Be patient with us, Lord. We want to have our minds switch so that Peter then hands the scalpel to us and we are so unqualified to cut into this cadaver or into this living body. And our hands are shaking, holding the scalpel. 
And we're asking you as a divine surgeon, could you please take my hand and guide me into this body, open up the cavity and show me from your word in my mind how I can have this exceedingly abundant joy. Guide my hand, heavenly surgeon, and empower me as you did failing Peter who denied you three times and I've not even done that and left weeping before the cross and yet look how you transformed him. We have you just like he did. Do the same work in us, Lord. Empower us to rise above the grind of circumstances in our lives and the what-if fears that are in the future for us. Draw us down in to the organ of joy. And may our hands be guided by you, our master, doctor, and surgeon, and bathe our minds with this joy. It may be baby steps this week, but may we see progression towards unconditional joy in the face of the hardships of life. We love you, Lord, we don't love you. We obey you and we don't obey you. We know, but we don't know. Guide us. Empower us, as you did at conversion, so that we can look forward to one day being with you. And each day we look forward to rejoicing over the salvation that has spared us from hell forever and may that pound joy right out of our chest in jesus name amen